Hi, I'm Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Our mission is to reach, teach, and baptize throughout the world, beginning in our community, fulfilling the Great Commission by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. That simply means we're here to reach irreligious people and turn them into lifelong devoted followers of Jesus, equip them for a place of service in the church, and send them out on a mission for Christ in the world. We're glad you're with us today. I command blessings on you and your family today. Gospel chapter 18, and we're looking at all of those verses that 23 to 27. I was going to try to divide it up into two messages, but it just came out this morning. So we'll just see what next week holds, but let's go there today and we'll see what the Lord says further. But um, Matthew's Gospel chapter 18, we're going to read verses 23 all the way through 35. 23. Through 35. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loved him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him a hundred pence and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord, all that was done then his Lord after that he had called him and said unto him and unto him said O thou wicked servant I forgave thee all that debt because thou desireth me shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant even as I had pity on thee 
and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God. I'm talking today about an example of forgiveness. An example of forgiveness. You know, you, you, we're, we're the kind of people, we're from Missouri, although we live in Alabama. Being from Missouri, we know Missouri is the show me state. And so we're the kind of people that say, show me. Don't just tell me, show me. Because we know that examples are, are, are more telling. They, they, they provide not just a graphic, but they provide a life illustration of what is possible. And that's what we have in the scriptural text today. We have a life example of what true forgiveness looked like. And we also have a stern warning in the text as to what can happen to you if you don't forgive and if you don't learn how to be a forgiver. So, so Jesus in his teaching doesn't say, I want to give you a good suggestion. Forgive each other. That's the suggestion. No, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. It is, it is an imperative that he wants us to be forgivers. Now, forgiveness, uh, and I said it a couple weeks back, is, is the whole key to unity. Forgiveness is the key to unity in the family, it's the key to unity in the church. It's the key to unity in the community. It really is the key to unity in the nation. And because there is not that level of exemplified forgiveness, we see division everywhere. And, and, and forgiveness can be as minor as two people not wanting to let each other go or it can be as severe as a church split. As a matter of fact, I heard two stories that reminded me of both. They're not comical. They just are true stories. There were two little girls that they were in school together and one of them wrote a teacher and said, uh, please help us find a solution. She said, Kathy and I are friends and we have been friends a long time. But our parents now do not want us to be friends because Kathy's daddy 
and my daddy disagree about what's going on at church. Help us. Kathy and I enjoy talking to each other, but our parents now tell us we can't speak to each other. Then there's another story about a lady who drove 3,000 miles to California to a prison to speak to the man and then some inmates after she learned that he had brutally raped and murdered her daughter. Her daughter had been on a little small mission trip where she was going door to door selling encyclopedias. And when she went to this particular perpetrator's house, he kidnapped her, raped her, and strangled her. And her mother drove 3,000 miles just to see the man, to let him know that in spite of what you have done, I forgive you. Look at the two opposite extremes of forgiveness. You have two children who are not being allowed to play with each other because their parents can't seem to get it together. And yet you got a mother who has lost a daughter to a brutal crime that could tax herself and drive 3,000 miles just to tell the man that she forgives him. And forgiveness is everything in between. It's not a human virtue. It's not something that people readily do and feel. And the text will illustrate our humanness in that and yet challenge us to look at the divine nature in order to learn how it's done. Now, what we see here, that, that forgiveness is, is counter. It's the complete opposite direction of what we do as people. We have been told and we have practiced one time, shame on you. Two times, shame on me. But what brought this up was in the teaching of Jesus. As Jesus was teaching his disciples in a home in Capernaum. He had been talking about the greatness. Who's great in the kingdom? That was the subject the disciples were discussing. Because they all wanted a prominent place in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus told him, no, that's not how it looks. And he took a child and he put a child in the middle and he said, unless you come as a little child, you, you can't have no part in the kingdom. 
And so the whole chapter, he builds off of the argument, unless you come as a child. Looking at the whole Christian race as children. And, and children come because they're innocent. They come because they don't know or they recognize something needs to happen. And then he goes on a little further in the teaching and he said, and we need to be protected just like a child. Jesus told those very men, he said, listen, he said, it would be better for you that a millstone was hanging around your neck than for you to offend one of these little children. Because children automatically have the protection of God. And then he comes back around and in the portion of the text that we've been looking at, starting in verse 21, uh, 20, he talks about forgiveness like children. Children need to be forgiven. Children mess up constantly. And because a child messes up constantly, we have to correct them. But we correct them with the intent of not eliminating them. We forgive them. And Christians need to be forgiven too. Over and over and over again. Because we are professional messer uppers. And we want God's forgiveness. And God doesn't mind giving it to us. But what he expects is when we have received forgiveness from him, that we would turn around and provide forgiveness for other people who may need it. And, 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 and the harshness in the text is that if you don't give other people forgiveness, then you're going to lose the joy of your fellowship with God. And you're going to end up, secondly, being Tormented, turned over to tormentors so that other people can scourge and discipline you, chasten you. And that's what's in the text. Now, let's look at it. Let's look at it. It came out of the teaching. And Peter, when the lesson had died down, comes to Jesus. And he says very boldly, Master, how often, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? So this, this is a talk to Christians. Some people have argued, even theologically, that this could not be a message to Christians. Yes, it is. The whole context is about Christian communication with each other. Listen at the question, the inquiry again. How many times should I forgive my brother? Now, we don't know of any biological brothers Peter had, but he was among the band of Jesus' disciples. So he was talking about how many times should I forgive a fellow saint when that saint offends me or come against me? And then he, he throws out what he thought was a great answer. He says to Jesus, what, till seven times? Expecting Jesus to commend him because the normal Jewish flow was three times. It was 
implied from the book of Amos that you can forgive a person three times. The fourth time, that's it. It was implied from the teaching of the Jewish rabbi. You can forgive a person three times, fourth time, that's it. And so Peter really thought he was saying something when he comes to Jesus and said, how many times should I forgive my brother? Till seven times he was taking the three, adding three more, and then putting one on top. Just really thinking that Jesus is going to say, Bob, what a man you must be, Pete. But Jesus said, no, till 70 times seven. That's 490 times if you count it. Now, what that really means is there is an unlimited amount of times that we are to forgive. Because honestly, if you got to keep up and calculate and keep a book where you're marking off, okay, I'm forgiving you 100 times, 200 times, 300 times, 400 times, 450, 460, 470, how are you getting close? You really haven't demonstrated forgiveness and so he is saying that when you are offended you Michael you whatever your name is you whenever you are offended as many times as it happens you ought to forgive can I tell you that's why this is such a fragile thing you, you understand you understand relationships you understand yourself you understand how hard that is you know how hard that is. I don't care. Man, you can look at a girl or the man in your dream and you can promise that you're going to love him forever till death do us part. And then they tick you off at the house and you be ready to say, he's out. <laughs> be ready to say, hit the road, Jack. <laughs> That's that quiet, baby. <laughs> don't come back no more, no more. And we all are that way. We're all of that way. We, 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 we work on a job and, and somebody do something to undermine us. And, and, and man, it, it won't be long before we say, shoot, I'm out of here. Forget this. I don't have to take this. I don't have to put up with this. And, and, and you see it in the highest forms of government. One party does something, the next party turns around, they try to do something even more dastardly, and that's why you see division right down the middle. You see it every day in the community. People get upset, that's all right. You mess with me, then I'm gonna drive by your house and I'm gonna spray it, and I don't care who in there get hit. It done got worse, we riding on the road now, and I pull up beside you, you looking at me, what you looking at me for, bam! And that's the kind of world we're living in because people do not readily or understand what forgiveness is about. And what I'm saying to you is not just a natural thing that comes out of the loins of a human being. When Jesus went to the cross and he died, man, after they put nails in his hand, and he could have called all of heaven down. And when he said, Father, forgive them, but they know not what they do, most of the folks said, what? Boy, if I'd had that kind of power, I'd have rounded up all them Roman soldiers. I'd whooped on them Pharisees too. That's how we feel. Now call me a lie. 
because you know it's the truth. So what he has to teach then, he has to teach us what it's like to be in his family, to be in his kingdom. And so he gives the example in the form of this parable. This parable is extensive, but this parable is pregnant with truth. Listen to what he says. He starts there in the 23rd verse. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like and what he's saying now, he said, in my kingdom, in the rule, the people that live under the sphere of influence that come from me are like this. And so he lays it out. He says, the rule of God or the kingdom of God is like a king. Now, let's be clear in the interpretation. The king is God. Say God. God is the king. And what does the king do? He calls unto himself his servants. God got servants in his kingdom. And guess who you are? You're a servant of God, right? And, and, and well, the Greek word for servant is the word doulos, is slave. And you can have slaves of different types. You can have slaves that are in chains that can't do nothing but what the master let them do. Then you can have other slaves or servants who are indentured, who have levels of freedom. And then you can even have servants that you put in charge of certain parts of your operation. And the kingdom of God is so vast. At the time of Jesus, he had, there was nothing uncommon for people who had massive amounts of land to have satraps or satraps. And they would be like, regional governors over portions of the master's estate. And the regional governor was supposed to collect taxes from the people and then report to the king and give an account of it. And every now and then, because the servants would not come on their own, the master would call them in for accounting. And on this occasion, he's calling them in. Now, may I tell you that that's how it is with God. That God periodically calls every one of us into account. We're all servants. We have been given gifts. We have been given talents. We've been given breath in our bodies. We've been given strong physical bodies. We've been given vast opportunities. And every now and then, God wants to hear from us how things going. How you doing? What you doing with what I've given you to do? Now, guess what? There are some people that enjoy that. Especially folk who doing what's right. Because they don't mind. Okay, okay, you want me to know what I'm doing? Let me tell you what I'm doing. But guess who don't like that kind of stuff? Folk who ain't doing right. You don't want to show you. Don't, don't call me. <laughs> right? That was the old adage that says 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older but deeper in debt. Says St. Peter, don't you call me. Because I can't go. For I owe my soul to the company store. So people who don't want God to call them are people who are not doing right. 
And so the text says that, and so they brought one. All the other servants, some of them came up and they wanted to give their account and tell the Lord about what they've been doing. But there was this one that owed the Lord 10,000 talents. Now, he was one of those regional governors, one of those regional satraps, and he has been collecting the Lord's money, but ain't been turning it in. The implication is he's been embezzling. He's been taking, and he's been holding back, and he has not been turning in the money. And now the Lord is calling him into account, and he doesn't want to show up in front of the Lord. So they bring him. They bring him in. How many know that there are some people who come to church regularly because you want to come to church? There are some people, man, you almost have to drag yeah, to come on, go to church. You'll be like, oh, I ain't going today. Oh, come on, come on, insist. Let you go. And you almost have to make them. My mama used to drag us to church. Man, I was on drugs a long time. <laughs> she dragged me <laughs> to church. Okay? How many have been drugged to church? Anybody ever been drugged to church? And listen, we not only drugged to church, but we were dared to move. <laughs> When we was in there, I mean, she she didn't have to say, sit down. All she had to do was turn and look. Man, that look was enough. And, it, and she had other helpers that were looking. <laughs> other people in the church. We had a lady, man, Miss Sammy, man, she come around, she had a fan. She stick that fan out. And if you had gum, you had to put it on there. And you weren't going to tell her, I ain't going to give you my gum. <laughs> Now that was that was gonna be trouble. So so the man was brought in and he owed ten thousand talents. Now you don't have no idea how much that is, but just to set it into context, in 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 the northern part of Israel, in Galilee, and in all of the kingdom of the Indomenian kings. The annual collection for that part of the world was only 300 pounds, 300 talents. All of the area, the whole shooting match didn't collect but 600 talents. And this one man got 10,000 talents. When Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, and God told him to overlay everything in gold, overlay the altar in gold, overlay the, the, the table of showbread, overlay everything in gold. And he used 3,000 talents of gold to overlay that big old temple. And this man got 10,000 talents. So he has been taken for a long time. And he got so much stuff now, if the Lord said, I want my money, he doesn't have it to pay. And he doesn't have anywhere to get it from. Where is he going to come up with 10,000 talents of money to pay the Lord on the day of reckoning? It becomes an insurmountable debt that he cannot pay. 
the Lord, and he knows he's in trouble. The Lord say, pay me what you owe me. And, and, and the man looking crazy. Can you imagine how you'd be looking? <laughs> and the Lord is demanding payment. And then the Lord said, I tell you what, I know what we'll do. We're going we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna, we're gonna sell your wife. We're going to sell your children. We're going to sell you. We're going to sell your house. We're going to sell everything you got. And even though selling all y'all won't give me enough, it'll at least pay on what you owe. Then I'm going to take away your freedom and I'm going to put you in prison until you can pay the rest of the debt. Now, the guy already knows that's big time trouble. Because if I go to prison, I'm just going to be working and working and working. And I'll never earn enough to pay back. Now, let me tell you what that means by way of interpretation. By way of interpretation, when God calls us to account, He's not calling us to account to see how much money we got in our pocket. God is calling us into account of the sin that we owe, the sin debt. And what this text does, it opens for us a picture of hell. That if God chooses to send us, to sell us, to take away our freedom and to cast us, we would just be there. And we would just be slaves and we would just be working and working and working and working and never be able to pay off our debt because it's an insurmountable debt. Listen, going to hell is not going to be fun. There are a lot of people think, oh, we're going to have a ball because my friends are going to be there. Well, y'all going to be down there by yourself. And you're going to be just working and burning and working and burning. And no nearer the debt being paid off. Because it just can't be done. Do you see that? Now, here's the turn of the message. And I'm, I'm going to move on quickly to the close this morning. We all have an insurmountable debt that we cannot pay. And so the man knows he's in trouble. Is prefiguring us. He falls down on his face. Now that's a good place to be because it indicates he's broken. It indicates that he is now aware of how sinful he really was. You know, uh, most people don't even know how sinful that they really are. That's why we need these periodic calls to come before God. I think in the Bible of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul was educated in the best of the schools. He was educated at the foot of Gamaliel. But that day on the Damascus Road, the Lord called him into account. And there on the dust of the ground in Damascus, Paul realized, oh wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death that I am? And then he cries out, I thank God for Jesus. 
Because he recognized that not only sin is not just something that you do. Sin is, is, is ultimately worked in the fabric of who we are. I want you to understand, you're not a sinner just because you cuss or because you do this or because you do that. It's not these little things that you do. It's the very essence of who you are. You can't help yourself. Now, you can be good at two-shoe for a minute, and you can hide behind this, that, and other, but in your attitude, in your mind, in your very fabric of who you are, you messed up. And you can't get rid of it by yourself. So you notice the man doesn't argue, say, man, give me some justice. He knows he's being justly dealt with. And so instead, he falls on his face in humble submission, and he cries out to the king, to God, be patient with me. Have mercy on me. Give me a chance. I'll pay you all. Now, he doesn't have a thing to pay with. And the debt is too great for him to ever think that he could come up with it. And may I want you help you understand that's exactly where we are. We before God in here today. And he reveals to us the sinfulness of our sin. And we see that it is an insurmountable debt. We can't pay for it. You can I don't care what he do. He can sell you. He can sell your children. He can sell all of your possessions and it will not Pay for your sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You understand? It's insurmountable. It's impossible. But what, how then can one be forgiven? One humbles himself by recognizing that this is an impossibility with me. And so one on his face before God cries out for mercy. Have mercy upon me. And God does. He does the unthinkable thing. He says to the seven, he said, I tell you what, listen, I'm not going to sell your children. That's not going to do it. I'm not going to sell your wife. That's not going to do it. I'm not going to put you in prison, take away your freedom. That's not going to do it. I tell you what, get up. I forget it. You don't owe me nothing. You're forgiven. The debt is forgiven. It's eliminated. You don't even have the responsibility of trying to make monthly payments. You're totally free. Now, all of that came out of the compassion and love that the king had for the servant. And that's how we are forgiven. Not because we deserve it, but because of the mercy, the compassion that's in the heart of the king, the Lord himself. And he looks at us and he says, I know you can never repay. But I tell you what, forget it. I'll let you go. You're free. You have been forgiven. Now, if that's not an example of forgiveness, what is it? 
All right, now watch this. Watch this because this is where it changes. This is where the parable changes. This man has just been forgiven of an impossibility. But he gets up from there and goes right out and he looks for and finds a fellow servant, another Christian, another brother who has also been forgiven of the master's debt and he chokes him, puts his hand around his throat and say, pay me what you owe me. Golly. I, I, I did tell him this morning, I said, I said that man must have been black. Because that's exactly what you see in the community. People who have been forgiven by God of all of the mess, all of the stuff, all of the stupidity, all of the wrong that we do, and we go right out and find somebody else and put our hand on their throat and say, you're going to pay me. No, we got it worse now. We put a pistol there. You're going to give me mine. It was nothing unusual in that Greek-Roman world in that period of time where Jesus lived for them to use strong men. And strong men would twist people arm or choke them until blood came out. And that was their collection agency. They would work on people until they submitted to do what they wanted done. But this man, he goes out and he applies the same thing. Now watch this, watch this. The servant that he goes out and finds, he didn't just run into him. He was out looking for him. This wasn't a by chance incident. This was an intentional search for the person who owed him. And he comes up to him and he says, you're going to pay me mine. And he said, uh, the man breaks down and he gives him the same speech that he had just given the Lord. Have patience with me. I'll pay thee all. And he could have paid that debt because all the second servant owed was like $18, a hundred pence, which was nothing that he could have scrapped up in a little while. And so he says to the one who had been forgiven the great debt, be patient with me, have patience with me. I will pay thee all. But the text said he would not. And therefore he had his wife's soul and his children's soul and his possessions soul and the man cast into prison caused him to give up his freedom. Man, what gall. What audacitous. But that's how, we, that's how we act. That's how we behave. Because forgiveness is just not natural. Now, let me tell you the consequence of this. When you are the kind of person who have received so much mercy and grace and forgiveness from God, then God expects you to be a forgiver of others. 
And I know what you say, but, but Pastor, you just don't know what they did. You don't know what they said. Let me tell you, this is not easy. No one likes to be talked about. Don't talk about my children. Don't talk about my wife. Don't talk about my family members. That's offensive. And all of us have had those offenses occur. And all of us have had those offenses. They occur so much so that we would lose it. As a matter of fact, as a kid, if you wanted to start a fight, just say your mammy. <laughs> and it was an instant <laughs> fight. Because we didn't know that we were supposed to forgive. And that's why this teaching is so critical for the church today. That's why this kind of teaching is so important for the world today. That's why we've got to understand beyond what we have thought. And hear ye the word of God. God has already made it clear. My ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways above your ways. But God has a different standard. And he wants us to apply it. Now, when we don't, let's look at what happens. Let's say we don't forgive. This man didn't forgive. He was, he was unwilling to forgive. And consequently, he loses fellowship with the one who had forgiven. Look at what happened. The other servants, the other people, the other church members, they're looking at this. They're watching what is going on. And they have tried to do what they could do to help rectify the situation. They've gone to this man. They've tried to talk to him one-on-one. -on -one. Maybe two or three of them have gone and tried to reason with him to get him to understand that he has a responsibility to forgive. But he doesn't. And they, in turn, feel sorry. They are hurt. They are broken. Man, it does break the heart when you see somebody and you know that they are going down the wrong trail. And you have tried to reason with them and appeal to their best. Hey, don't do it like that. The Bible said he was sorry. So they went and told the master. They said, we ain't got nothing else we can do. We got to turn this guy over to you. Let us tell you what he did. You know that fellow that you forgave all of that enormous, that 10,000 talents? That very fellow got up from your forgiveness table and walked right out of the door and found another fellow that owed him $18 and began to choke him and sold him and sold his children and put him in prison until he could pay. And the master said, bring him in here. The Bible said he was wroth. Somebody might be looking at this. Somebody might be saying, well, how could God be angry with his fellow servants? Because God is our heavenly father. And just like your earthly father would sometimes chastise you to correct you, God as your heavenly father will sometimes correct you. And so the boy was brought back in before the Lord. 
And the Lord looked at him and said, you wicked servant. Did not I forgive you of all of that debt? Then he applies the message. Then you should have had compassion on your fellow servant. I gave you everything because you begged me, because you pleaded with me. Couldn't you not have done the same for another? And because he wouldn't, guess what happened? He was turned over to the tormentors. Now, you, do you know what a tormentor is? It's somebody who paid to mess with you. It's somebody's job it is to inflict as much pain on you as they possibly can. Now, for God to turn you over to a tormentor or to a series of torments because of your unwillingness to forgive, man, that's a bad place to be. I don't want the Lord turning me over to nobody. I want to be in God's hand because God is a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. God is a kind God. And God knows. He already knows when I've had enough. Other folk don't care when I've had enough. They want to add on it. God will stop it. It's only so many tears. He'll let me shed and then he'll dry those tears. But somebody else want to make as much tears as they can. But that's the chastening that comes when you don't forgive. And listen at the application, and I'm done. Jesus says, and so will it be for every one of you that will not forgive his brother of their sin. Now we have a a responsibility to look in our life today there might be some people that are there who hurt you said things, did things there might be somebody who maybe even defrauded you of something but you gotta look you gotta search and you gotta be willing to forgive I close with the story of the prodigal son man boy did the worst thing a man could do to a man he told his daddy, he said, I want you dead. I wish you dead. Because if you were dead, then I could have my inheritance. But then he got bold one day. He goes to his daddy and said, well, since you are not dead, and since you don't look like you in no hurry to die, just give me mine now. I don't have to wait till you die. Give me the portion that belonged to me now. And his daddy did it. And the boy left home. And he went out throwed away all of his money riotous living and he ended up in the worst place for a Jewish boy to be feeding hogs on a pig pen but that's when the mind snapped and he came to him best self and he looked at that slop that he was thinking to put in his mouth and he said how many of my father's servants hired servants, day laborers got enough to eat and bread to spare and look at me he said what I'll do he said I'll get rid of this pride and I'll go home and I'll tell my father I'm no more worthy to be called your son 
make me as one of your hired servants. And the Bible said before he could even get home, the dad had been looking and saw him a great way off and he came and he ran and he fell upon him and he kissed this stinking, embarrassing boy's neck. He called for the killing of the fatted calf and the bringing of the best robe and placing of the ring on his finger. He said, it's my son who was dead but now alive. Listen, God is a forgiver. He forgives. And the price of forgiveness, he takes on himself. He doesn't put the debt on you. He removes the debt totally. He paid the price. He suffered the loss. He took it all. But he says that I want you now, in turn, to go and release other people. So I got to stop now. And I'm going to simply say that God deserves all of the glory, doesn't he? Who deserves all of the honor? Who deserves all of the praise? God does. I didn't forgive myself. And to be honest with you, I didn't wake myself up this morning. I didn't keep myself enclosed in my right mind. So I just say, God, you deserve it. You deserve all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise, all of the thanksgiving because of your great mercy. So we're going to give you an opportunity to hear. If you want some of that grace, if you want some of that forgiveness, if you want some of that mercy, we'll give you that, that opportunity tonight as we open the doors of the church. And anytime during the singing of the song, walk this way. Give God your heart. Give one of these your hand. And let's begin this relationship. God is the one who deserves it. I'm just a, another forgiven sinner who recognized the need to have God release me. And now I want to help you find the same level of release and relief for your life. Doors open, man. Sing. Anytime. Hallelujah belongs to you. Listen, all of the hallelujahs, all of the praises. Hallelujah belongs to you. Hallelujah belongs to, to you. Oh Lord, yeah. Hallelujah belongs.
This is Dr. Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I know by now you know about this new book that we have released. Not only have we released it, the book is here. And it's an excellent read, not just because I wrote it, but because of the content and what it conveys. It tells the story of where marriage comes from. Marriage comes from God. And I need us to know that. And if you are in love and considering this particular path for your life, 
The content of this book will help you along the way. Not only do we talk about where marriage come from, we talk about keys to compatibility, what's necessary to be effective in marriage. I have a little acronym in the book, it's called CUT, C-U-T, Communication, Understanding, Trust. That becomes the basic formula that's necessary for any marriage to be successful. Not only do we talk about those things and the keys to compatibility, we also talk about staying in love. Once you're in love, we certainly want to remain in love. And some may wonder, well, what if I married the wrong person? We even deal with that as well. So this is a great opportunity for you to make sure that you're in line with what God's will is for your life. God bless you. Please follow the prompts on the screen that you may know how to get your personal copy of this book. Friends, this is Michael Wesley, Senior Pastor of Greater Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. We really appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown to us through these broadcasts. We've been hearing from people and our friends all over, and we want you to pray about being a supporter and a prayer partner and a supporter of this television ministry. If you believe the Holy Spirit has ministered the Word of God to you and you'd like to see this ministry continue and to share it with your friends, please consider being a supporter. Follow the prompts on the screen. We would love to hear from you.